This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I am a recovering sex addict, and I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012. So today is episode 72. Before we jump into that, I'd like to start with just my grateful moment. So today I'm grateful for rain. We've had rain here on and off for the past 24 hours, and I I love rain. I love anything to do with water, really. And I love the healing that rain does to the earth, the nourishment that it provides, the clearing away of dirt and smog in the air, and I just love the feeling of rain. This time around, the rain reminded me of one of my favorite songs. I've sung this song probably a million times. It's by Sarah Bareilles, and it's titled Let It Rain. And the lyrics to the song, I just think, I think sharing them would be helpful. The lyrics to the song starts, I wish I were pretty. I wish I were brave. If I owned this city, then I'd make it behave. And if I were fearless, then I'd speak my truth and the world would hear this. That's what I wish I'd do. If my hands could hold them, you'd see. I'd take all these secrets in me and I'd move and mold them to be something I'd set free. Then she moves into the chorus. I want to darken in the skies, open the floodgates up. I want to change my mind. I want to be enough. I want the water in my eyes. I want to cry until the end of time. I want to let the rain come down and make a brand new ground. Let the rain come down and make a brand new ground. There is so much more to the song, but when I think about rain or when I have the clear days after the rain, I think about this song often. I love the imagery and the idea that my tears are like rain, making a brand new ground for me to build my life, my new life in recovery. I used to listen to that song nearly every day, actually multiple times a day, especially when I was new in recovery and I was crying all of the time because that's how it was for me. But I haven't listened to it for a while and the rain the last few days has reminded me of the hope that came with that song. The hope that I will build, that my tears will nourish the ground and build a brand new ground for me to build my recovery on. I'm grateful for today for rain. I'm grateful for music and I'm grateful for hope. What are you grateful for today? What's going on in your life that you're grateful for? Take a moment and just kind of sink into that. Today is episode 72, and it's the second part of our three-part series on objectification. In our first episode of this series, episode 70, we talked about the 10 qualities of objectification. They are instrumentality, denial of autonomy, inertness, viability, ownership, denial of subjectivity, fungibility, reduction to body, reduction to appearance, and silencing. We discussed the definition of each of those qualities and some examples of how they manifest in our world and in our lives. Interestingly enough, my brother tried to engage me in a conversation this past weekend about objectification. 
Let me just say that it didn't go well. Unless someone is really open and willing to look at their own behavior, these discussions don't usually go well. So I want to commend you for even being willing to look at this, for even listening to this podcast. It is hard to look at our own behavior and think we are treating people in a way that may be objectifying to them. So good job at just being willing. I hope you can really approach this with an open heart and mind. I asked you last time as we went through each of these 10 qualities to examine two questions. The first one, how do I do this to other people? And the second one, how do I do this to myself? So in, these, in this episode, episode 72, we're going to examine that first question. How do I do this to other people? In our next episode, in the last of this series, episode 74, we're going to examine the second question. How do I do this to myself? How do I objectify myself and how do I allow other people to objectify me? Really quickly, a few announcements before we jump in. Registration, as you know, has begun for our event coming up in January. Engaged in the Struggle is the theme of our Worth Recovery event that will take place on January 21st of 2017 in the Salt Lake City area. It's not that far away. We only have about 30 more days of early bird pricing and we're starting to really get a good group going. So I'm excited about that. Get your ticket now. Like I said, early bird pricing is only available until December 1st. And our lineup of therapists is going to be amazing. I'm excited because in the next about 30 days, we're going to preview each of those therapists and have a discussion with them on the podcast so you can kind of get a feel for who they are and listen to a little tiny taste of what they're going to share with us in January. You can find all the details on the website, worthrecovery.com, W-O-R-T-H-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y, worthrecovery.com. Now, of course, before we move forward, I want to give a shout out to our Worth Warriors. You ladies are amazing. When a woman reaches out for help in addiction, it's my mission to provide the voice and the hand of a woman to reach back. Worth Warriors, you make that possible. I love you ladies so much. It takes a lot of time to write, produce, edit, post each of these podcast episodes. You ladies who contribute monthly as a Worth Warrior, you guarantee that this podcast remains free for all those women out there. And I can't thank you enough. And just so you know, our podcast continues to grow, to which I'm totally humbled. We're currently averaging about 125 downloads a day. Just keeps growing little by little. We have listeners in 48 states, so almost the entire United States. Regular listeners, not just one download here or there. We also have listeners in over 20 countries, and that continues to grow as well. So I'm just so grateful for those of you that help to contribute to this, for the hosting, for the time, for the effort that it takes to make this happen. If you've been enjoying what you're learning, if you are a regular listener, if this podcast has helped you even a little bit, I encourage you to think about becoming a Worth Warrior. Get on the website, Worth Warriors. There's a whole area for you on the website. There are special perks and discounts for our Worth Recovery events. You can join the Worth Warriors for as little as $4 a month. That's less than 50 cents an episode. It's actually like around 42 cents an episode. So get on the website, look for the Worth Warrior logo, and join the movement. All of the information, both about our event and about the Worth Warriors, can be found on the website, worthrecovery.com. So let's jump back to our discussion today. 
The question we're going to examine today is this one. How do I objectify other people? I'm purposefully not saying how do I objectify men or how do I objectify women or anything like that because I'm trying to remain gender neutral because I want you to think about how you objectify other people, men, women, children, homeless people, co-workers, people in authority over you, people who work beneath you, everyone around you. If we think only about the opposite sex, we miss the boat here. I really want you to think about how you objectify other people. Because objectification, it's a whole attitude and not just something that happens on its own or only in a certain place or only with certain people. My experience with objectification is that it permeates my life in ways I've worked on and in ways I'm even just starting to recognize and see. Before we talk about some concrete actions here, I want to remind you of two things. First, this is a process. And you only can tackle one piece at a time as things become part of your awareness. If this is something you struggle with, objectification, it probably didn't just start recently. And so it's going to take you some time to work through it and see some serious progress. You're not going to all of a sudden in a week be healthy. And that's okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it's totally okay. It's something that we work on. It's something that we work through. And second, I just want to remind you that you are not helpless over this battle. You know, there's a lot of talk about objectification. Some say that men can't help themselves. Some say that women should dress appropriately because men can't help themselves. Some say that women are competitive and comparative by nature with other women and so that they can't help themselves either. And some say that for thousands of years... History and our biology and our chemistry and our makeup has made us this way. Now, I'm not going to get into which, if any, or none of those are true. I have my opinions about them for sure, but frankly, that's not what matters. What matters is that you are not helpless over this battle. If you want to change, if you want to start seeing people and not objects, you can do that. It will take effort and it will take time, but you can do it. So as we begin, I want you to just remember this is a process. It takes some time and you are not helpless over this at all. It's not your nature. It's not your makeup. You can control this. If you want to see people and not see objects, you can do this. As I said, objectification is an attitude and not just a one-time event. And it goes far beyond just turning people into bodies or body parting. I'd like to give you a few of the practices that I have developed to help me stop objectifying people. These work. No matter what type of objectification is going on, no matter what quality is at play here. In fact, if we take the 10 qualities and look at their opposites, so you know that great list that we developed last last episode, episode 70, the 10 qualities of objectification. If we turn those around, we start to have a great list of how we could be treating people. If we take those 10 qualities and kind of turn them out inside out, this is what we get. At least this is my interpretation of what we get. We need to treat people like they are, number one, an end in themselves, not a tool. Number two, a self-determined agent. Number three, independent and owned only by themselves. Number four, unique. Number five, valuable, not to be harmed. 
Number six, a being with feelings and experiences. Number seven, more than their body. Number eight, more than their appearance. Number nine, capable of expressing themselves so they have a voice that matters. I love that list. I want to be treated like that and I want to treat others like that. If that is the ideal, that is the goal, then the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? So I have some ideas today, just four of them that I want to share with you about how I have stopped objectifying people. So are you ready? Okay, here we go. Number one, the first thing that you need to be aware of is to tightly control what you can control. There is a lot of things in this world that I cannot control. In fact, there are more things in the world that I cannot control than those that I can control. However, I've learned that the things that are in my control need to be tightly controlled. I learned this lesson far before I actually started recovery. As a professional teacher and trainer and presenter, I learned that there are multiple variables that impact how the presentation, workshop, or lesson will go. Some of them have to do with what I'm bringing in with me, my emotions, my health, my stuff, right? Some of them have to do with what the participants are bringing in with them, their emotion, their health, their stuff. Just managing those variables is enough. That's difficult enough just to manage those two set of variables. All of the other factors that contribute to a successful presentation have to be tightly controlled so that I have enough mental bandwidth to handle the unknown variables. Things like lighting, like handouts, like seating, like food, all those variables had to be tightly controlled so that I didn't have to waste mental space worrying about them and I could be present and take all of my mental bandwidth to worry about the connection I was making with the audience. The same works with objectification. There are things I can control. First of all, I can control the media I allow in my home, the TV shows I watch, the music I listen to, the videos and the print I allow in the house. All of those things are under my control. When I go out in public, I can control where I go. I can control where I sit. I can control the timing of things. Example, if there's someone at the gym that is difficult for me, I can control when I go to the gym. I could also switch locations if I needed to. There are things that I can do and things that I can control. There are multiple things under my control, under your control. Control what you can control. Be willing to give up things like TV shows. There's TV shows that I've had to totally tune out even though I adore the storyline or what's going on. But the show is too much about objectification and I I can't watch it. There are TV shows I've had to give up, movies, magazines, music, especially music, whatever it is. Even doing this for a period of time, 30 days or 60 days or more, can be a huge benefit. So the first thing you got to think about when you're trying to change objectification is to control what you can control. Okay, now let's say you've done that and you're in the middle of this and something happens and you start finding that you're objectifying someone. I, I've done that. I was in my car. I was stopped at a stoplight and a man started walking across the street in the crosswalk in front of me. My body responded to him before I even clued into what was going on. So I was already starting to objectify him. The second idea that I want to share with you is one of the tools that I've used. 
And that is to list five things you know about them that have nothing to do with their physical appearance. So list five things you know about them that have nothing to do with their physical appearance. I remember looking at this man and forcing myself, five things, five things. I love to do five things because I have five fingers, right? You know how I am with ways to make that work. So anyway, five things. I didn't know this guy. I had no idea what his name was. I tried to start with his name, but I had no idea what his name was. So I looked at the bag he was carrying, his computer bag. It looked really cool, actually. And I said out loud, he has great taste in bags. Okay, number one, he has great taste in bags. What else? So he was walking instead of driving somewhere. So I thought, okay, his health is important to him, right? Maybe maybe that's a stretch, but you know what? It worked for me in the moment. His health is important to him. What else? I said to myself, what else do you know about him? So he was outside. So I said, okay, he enjoys fresh air, right? He enjoys being outside and fresh air. Three things. I need two more. Okay, next. It was lunchtime. So I was thinking, okay, maybe he's going to meet friends for lunch. So I said, he loves social gatherings. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. But it was what I could come up with. And by then, I was starting to pull myself out of this objectification thing that was going on for me. And I was feeling kind of sick and a little bit upset with myself because I don't even know this man. I don't even know who he is. And here I am trying to come up with things about him that have nothing to do with his appearance. So the fifth and final thing I said is, I hope he has a great day. I hope this man has a great day. And with that, my mind was able to kind of put that to rest and move on to something else. Now, this works for me. This also works really well when I start to objectify women and their bodies as well. Usually this comes in the form of comparison for me and can even happen when I least expect it with people I actually know, close friends even. I start to objectify them, either their body or just anything about them. And so I do it again. I name five things I know about this person that has nothing to do with their physical appearance. I start with their name. Do I know their whole name, middle name as well? Is it a family name? What do I know about their name? And I'll say their name. If I can say it out loud, I will. If not, I'll do it in my head. What do I like about them? Maybe I admire the way she works her recovery. Okay, second thing. Third thing. Okay, what else do I know? Well, she's dedicated to her family. And I start thinking, and when I start saying these things in my head, I start thinking about them as a person. That's right. She has a family, right? Fourth, okay, she loves to help other people and she's really good at it. She's really good at, she's really thoughtful and really good at reaching out and helping other people. Okay, four things. And then fifth, what else? I want her to be happy and successful. I know that about her. I want her to be happy and successful. I always try to start with their name if I can, because that really helps me to personalize and humanize the person. And then I always try to end with wishing that person well, building empathy and connecting to them. This has really worked for me. I always, like I said, try to do things in groups of five because I have five fingers. So I just hold my hand up and remind myself that I need to think of five things about this person. This works really well because I'm looking at the three-dimensional aspect of the person. I'm giving them dimension. I'm filling in that three-dimensional look and I'm getting rid of that poster version that we talked about last time, right? I'm allowing them to be a full, complete person. Uh, Just a quick variation that has worked for me is if I know the person really well, then I try to think of five things that we have in common. What are five things I have in common with this person? 
If I can come up with five things I have in common, I start to connect and stop comparing. And that has really worked for me. So that's one of the things that I do to try to stop and pull myself out of objectification. Okay, my third strategy today. Another thing that I started doing that has really, really helped me is to quit interrupting other people. I was horrible at this. I was always interrupting people and wanted to have the last word about everything or point out where they were wrong or whatever was going on. And I had to stop. I committed to myself that I would apologize. I would stop and that I would apologize every time I did it. This has been incredibly impactful for me and for my relationships because it forces me to listen all the way to the end. It forces me to listen to what they are trying to say and not focus so much on trying to point out where they're wrong or having the last word. It helps me value people's opinions and experiences as well as their voice. It hits so many different aspects of those 10 qualities, allowing them to be unique, allowing them to feel valuable, allowing them to use their voice. If I do start to interrupt or I catch myself, I will say, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I want to hear what you have to say. And then I will let them finish. It took a lot of focused effort to make this happen. Really focused effort. And it has been worth it. Like 100% worth it, really. And I've started to notice that one of the ways I feel objectified is when people interrupt me and don't listen to what I have to say. When they aren't listening all the way to the end, it helped me identify that I feel objectified that way as well. And we'll get into that more in our next episode, episode 74. So stop interrupting people. That was a really great way for me to stop objectifying people and to really start to value who they are and what they offer. Okay, my fourth strategy today is kind of along that same line of helping to humanize people. One of the things that I do when I find that I'm objectifying is I take a moment and I stop and I ask myself this question. What does this person want right now and how can I help them achieve that? So again, if I'm stopped at a stoplight and there's a man walking across the street and I'm having a reaction to that, I try to stop myself and think, what does this person want right now and how can I help them achieve that? In that case, maybe it's that they just want to cross the street and they have no, it has nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. So I need to let that person go and not use them as a tool because what they're trying to get done has nothing to do with me. I find that most of the time when I'm objectifying someone in any way, I'm more concerned about getting my way or having my way with them than I am about how they feel or who they are or what they want in that moment. If I can step back for a moment and ask myself, what does he or she want right now and how can I help them achieve that? I can instantly pull myself out of the selfishness, out of my own selfishness and my own self-absorption and really look at who they are and what they need. If I don't know the answer to the question, then that's a really good indication that I'm objectifying and I need to ask as well. What is it you want right now and how can I help you achieve that? Asking is the very opposite of objectification because I'm honoring their voice. I'm asking what it is that they need and I'm asking how I can be of service to them. 
It helps me remember that they have needs and wants as well and that it isn't all about me. Again, it adds dimension to that person, not just what I'm seeing or not just how they're going to serve me or my purpose. I start to recognize them. Now, remember that I'm talking about what I'm doing when I'm objectifying. Next time, we'll talk about when I'm being objectified and how this question can change just a little bit to help me in that scenario as well. So those four things have been really helpful. The last thing I would say that has been really helpful for me is to set up some accountability. If you have some trusted friends who might be willing to help you or a sponsor or someone, ask for help. Talk to them about your experiences. Ask for them to point out ways that you might treat people like objects. Ask for their ideas. Ask for things that they have done to help them overcome this habit in their own lives. Set up a schedule for you to talk about it. The more you can talk about it, the more aware you'll become and the better you get at stopping this yourself. Objectification is a battle that you have to hit from all angles. It's not just about the way you look at someone. It ha- it's so much deeper than that and has to do with really honoring people as people and seeing them as the complex and multidimensional people that they are. You have to work on this offensively, like controlling what you can control, setting up accountability, as well as defensively, having a plan for what you will do when it happens, when you're in the moment, when you're objectifying someone else. Remember that our goal here is to treat every single person as the multidimensional, complex person that they are. When we turn the qualities of objectification around, we get that list of the way that we treat people instead. We need to treat them as ends to them in themselves, as self-determined agent, as independent and owned only by themselves, as unique, as valuable, as being as a being with feelings and experiences, and treat them as more than their body and appearance. And treat them as capable of expressing themselves. I hope this has helped you. I know it's just like the tip of the iceberg with objectification. I hope you're able to use some of these tools in your work to overcome objectification. In our final episode of this series, we will discuss the second question. How do we do this to ourselves? How do we objectify ourselves or allow others to objectify us? And we'll talk about what boundaries we need to put in place in order to stop the objectification in our lives. I'm excited to continue this discussion with you. I would also love to hear how you overcome objectification. What are some of the tools that you use? You can find us on Facebook. You can get on the website. And there's places for you to comment, ladies and gentlemen, and tell us how you overcome objectification. I would love to be able to hear more from you about that as well. Just a reminder, as always, ladies, that I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, no matter if objectification is something you really, really struggle with or not, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. My friends, I think about you so much. I pray for you and I love you. Until next time, Amy.
little stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.